Yeah. Hello, um, we're going to start today in the church uh, in looking at the Acts of the Apostles. In looking at Acts, the intention is to look at things like unity, things we discussed in the church, at fellowship, at worship and prayer, at making disciples through preaching and teaching as well as being a light to others. So that's the intention uh, over the next number of, of weeks. Acts of the Apostles, as it's normally called uh, traditionally, that, that really was a title that was added probably sometime in the second century. And in one sense, it, it's a bit of a kind of misleading term. Acts is fine because because there's plenty of action all the way through the sort of 28 chapters. But Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles in a sense doesn't seem quite right, since the story really doesn't tell the story of the 12 apostles uh, and primarily if you can have a quick scan through the book chapters 1 to 12 tell us about the story of Peter and then the latter part of the book in chapters 13 to 28 it gives us the story of the apostle Paul so the other apostles really get only a very very fleeting mention so let's read the first two verses. Here's what it says. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven, after giving uh, his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Luke, who wrote the gospel that bears his name, did all kind of research in terms of that particular book. He interviewed people, checked it out, checked the stories, and you might say, well, well, why? Well, you see, Luke was not really a witness, first-hand witness, to the life of Jesus like Matthew, Mark, and John. However, he wanted to give a very accurate description of what was going on and a very accurate description to his friend Theophilus. And then later on, God prompted his um, Luke to write again a second book, and the book of Acts then comes about. So by a clear implication, this second book um, is of all the things that Jesus continued to do and teach. In the Gospels, Jesus did that with his physical body. He was physically present in one place at a time. Whereas in the book of Acts, he did it through other people, doing it through the bodies of men and women. And really, you could argue that the book of Acts is an unfinished book. It's never actually ended. In one sense, it's still being written. When you look at the book, it kind of closes quite abruptly with the account of Paul in the city of Rome. In one sense, what we are going to do and look through this book is look at the text that was written in the first century, really volume one. For those who are Christians, what we are living out is volume 21 in the 21st century because in a sense the acts of the apostles, the acts of what God is doing through his church is continuing and has continued for the last 2000 years. And volume 21 that we are living at the moment out in our lives really might be the last volume. But back to our text. Verses 3 and 4 AC. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. 
and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, we stopped there because I was wanting to say a wee bit about that. Luke, in a sense, here is giving in these verses a kind of explanation about the 40 days between the death, burial, and between his ascension into heaven. And he really is emphasising here the central fact of the resurrection. And he gives three areas of proof of the resurrection. Uh, three areas where the Christian faith rests on this evidence um, at that particular time. And the first one is this idea of eyeballed. Um, so during the 40-day period, uh, to use our kind of modern vernacular, Luke says that these disciples eyeballed him, saw him for 40 days. So it wasn't that they saw him once, they saw him several times, not merely once, but numerous times over this 40-day period. And each time he looked exactly the same. So there's one piece of evidence. Another piece of evidence was this idea of he spoke to them. And he even mentions what they spoke about, the kingdom of God, so they can remember. While Luke said that the people who he spoke to can even remember some of the things that he said. The fact that he spoke about the kingdom of God. So they saw him and they heard him. And then the third part was this idea where they ate with him. After the resurrection and um, Jesus at one point met with his disciples on the beach. And to many this is the ultimate proof because he, he was eating with them. And look, I'm sure when he interviewed and spoke to these kind of people, they would say, well, we saw him, we sat on a beach, we cooked fish, we saw him put the fish into his mouth and it disappeared. So this wasn't any kind of hallucination or mirage. This is proof that he was with us and that he was uh, alive. The resurrection in terms of Jesus Christ uh, is the foundation of Christianity. It's what, in a sense, everything else rests. And at times, people who are Christians can feel down, have doubts, uh, or be unclear in terms of maybe a, a, an attack on them in their faith. But the very fact that Jesus is alive, that's the bedrock of the Christian faith. And that's what, in a sense, people come back to. Moving on from that abrupt way we stopped there halfway through verse 4. Verse 4b says in verse 5, He commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptised with water, but in just a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. The Feast of Weeks or, or Pentecost was one of the reasons why God had told these people to wait, not to go elsewhere, but to simply wait in Jerusalem, because it was God's timetable. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit was to coincide with the Jewish Feast of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover. The Jewish Feast of Harvests was a day where they brought in the first fruit of their harvest. The initial part, not everything, but just that first part. And I think what was to happen was this, that the day of Pentecost and the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits, the church on that first day was going to gather in the first fruits. Some 3,000 people would be saved. Peter would preach and a great number would, would come into the, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were, in that sense, the first fruits of what would follow over the many, many years that the church has been existed. 
<clears throat> and with the kind of promised Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, these first fruits, that spiritual harvest took place. Before the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowered people in many ways over many, many years. But from Pentecost onwards, the Holy Spirit indwells those who come and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Saviour. Verses 6 to 8. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to go to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples asked Jesus here about the times and restoring the kingdom to Israel. Jesus replied, well, all these kind of dates, that's not for you to know. Your job is to be witnesses. Verse 6 is, is quite interesting. I think there were still some of those disciples who imagined that some of what was going to or about to take place was going to be Israel restored within their lifetime and the Romans kind of kicked out of the of the land of, of Israel in that sense. But they are told in no uncertain terms that no, your job is to be a witness. In terms of the times and the dates, really, that's really no concern of yours. So what was emphasised to them was this, what we call here the Great Commission. And there's a sense in which that Great Commission that was given to these first disciples to be witnesses was, was given to them, but it's also given by implication to us. So the question is to you, if you're a Christian, and to me, are we an effective witness? I've got to ask myself that. Am I an effective witness? Or at times, maybe, am I a hindrance to the work of the gospel? The word witness appears something like 39 or 40 times in the book of Acts. It's this command that was given here, and it's, it's said time and time again, where those who have seen, have heard, who saw these things, and then you and I who have been told about it, are to be witnesses. So maybe at times I am effective, but maybe to a large extent of time, then maybe I am not. Verses 9 to 11. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising to heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here, staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you to heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. It was quite an amazing experience. They're standing here on the Mount of Olives and then suddenly they see him rise and never to come back again. So Jesus had told them this would happen. And furthermore, Jesus said that his removal, him going away, was necessary. Here's what it says in John chapter 16, verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't go, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Just want for a minute or two to say this. We, we live in a world that's very scientific. And where we stay, not just locally, but we stay on Earth, which is part of a huge galaxy called the Milky Way. 
and it's unimaginably large. In fact, what they tell us is that it takes light something like 100,000 years to travel from one end of that to the other. And yet light travels at an astonishing speed of 300 million metres per second. And even travelling at that incredible speed, it takes light 100,000 years to travel from one end of our galaxy to the other. And what science will go on to tell us is this, that not only is there our galaxy, there are galaxies upon galaxies. So this is not the only galaxy. There are thousands upon thousands, if not millions of galaxies. And therefore our universe is unimaginably huge. And the important part, when we put that science to the side, is this that the Lord Jesus Christ went away so the Comforter can come. He, he didn't go to some far distant part of space. I think it was Yuri Gagarin um, that said that when he looked out of the kind of cosmonaut, that he looked out the window and said he didn't see God. No, it's not that God resides in some far end part of space. I think it's wrong to think of that, that God stays and the Lord Jesus Christ went to some far distant part. No. In one way, Jesus just simply stepped into a different dimension, one that's not where you and I are. He stepped, stepped into a different dimension, different time dimension, different area from you and from me. But the comforting thing is this, he's only a prayer away. He's not at the other end of the universe. He's right here with you right now. That's a staggering fact. Despite the fact of how big our universe is, he is right, right here with you right now. The other promise that was given to the disciples was the return of the Lord Jesus. And in verse 11, we're told that Jesus will return. In the same way, they're told, in the same way you saw him go, that's how he will come back. And that word about his return is like a thread all the way through the book of Acts. And it also runs through the story of church history, where people were told, are been told time and time again and reminded time and time again that what we do, in a sense, is until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And every time you go to a communion service, very often in traditional churches will have it on the table until we have to remember him until he returns. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. So even the very communion service, Part of that is a reminder that he is coming back again. 